how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Welcome to Sober Sex. On this week's show, we are delighted to have Mandy Manners as a guest. She is a habit change and well-being specialist and a coach who helps women to heal and thrive in their lives, sobriety, well-being, and beyond. She is an author, speaker, and professional trainer who uses her own story to break down stigma and raise awareness of the interconnection between mental illness, trauma, identity, and addiction. Uh, Trigger warning for those of you who might not be interested in hearing about sexual assault. We talk a little bit about... Mandy's experience with that, so if you are feeling sensitive around that subject today, please take care of yourself and maybe choose another episode to listen to. Also, apologies for our inconsistent posting in the last couple weeks. We've been trying to navigate getting back to work and continuing to host the show, so be prepared for some exciting format changes and some uh, hopefully more consistent episodes in the near future. And thank you for sticking with us. We love you very much. So tune in. This is Mandy Manners on Sober Sex. And we're bloody live with Mandy Manners. Mandy Manners, I love you. Hi. (laughs) That's how we start each episode now. (laughs) A little song. A little song. (laughs) Oh, man, welcome to Sober Sex. And thank you for being a guest and being one of my fucking favorite people on this planet. Oh, yeah start me off and we've only just started yeah Yeah. how are you today how how am i Hmm. um i am i'm better than i was dude (laughs) yeah i'm better than i was it's been a rough old uh year or so but we're going to get into yeah one of the questions around the pandemic isn't it and the the impact but um yeah I'm, I'm good man I'm good it's Wednesday kids are off in the afternoon so I've just like checked in with the kid dog cat situation um, so hopefully we'll be left alone by <laughs> the aforementioned um <laughs> oh but thanks for making time because I know how difficult that is and thank the kids as well for releasing you <laughs> yeah I mean they're teenagers now so they're like literally really happy about not seeing me at all but the dog is a little bit more um possessive as you heard when we spoke earlier and she was like giving me a little nibble because I was talking to you on the phone and she was like (laughs) we're raising monsters all three of us (laughs) Uh, for my own part I'm raising a trash fox but the last time I saw Maddie in person she glared at me for for talking to Rose while she was breastfeeding (laughs) she was like excuse me yeah you have to shut up (laughs) I'm busy I was like this thing (laughs) no noise when she's feeding um but also the dogs are a real situation 
Mikey and I were laughing about it yesterday because we thought like Boozy would be really protective over me when I was pregnant, but I just became like a danger because I was too vulnerable in his environment and he just like wouldn't go fucking near me. We thought it was so funny because he's such a, he's just like, only things that are safe. You are currently not safe. And <laughs> I feel like your little one is like, she's very attached to you, isn't she, man? Oh, my dog, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, what funny. an idea, you know, it's like, you get sort of your kids grow up and then you decide to get a dog. It's like, why? <laughs> it's more planning like with the dog than, than it ever was with the kids. But um, yeah, she's very lovely, but she is a little bit mental. Um, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. As the best ones are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we forgot the most important question that we start with. Um, <laughs> the easy, easy in, you know. Easy in. Um, what are your pronouns? Um, my pronouns are she, her. Yeah. Are you going to ask me question two? Because that question yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a doozy. So what is your experience of gender today? <laughs> oh my goodness. Like I had to text Rose last night. I was like, yeah, okay. So it might just be me, but question two is uh, quite challenging. Um, what's my experience <laughs> of gender today? Um, it's, a, it's a mystery, isn't it? We're all just yeah. figuring it out. Um, and it's yeah. really interesting being a parent to kids that are growing up with more vocabulary and openness around gender, which is really exciting because, you know, they tell me stuff about it all the time that I, yeah, I'm learning. So what's my experience of gender? Yeah, well, you know, um, I identify as a woman, cisgender. Um, my period was kicking my ass last week. Um, migraines all of that I think it's getting worse as I'm perimenopausal um so yeah that's what I can say about gender at the moment yeah. <laughs> I appreciate also your the idea that like I don't think we've been invited especially kind of in our generation growing up to even kind of think about it or question it that much so part of the reason we wanted to have the question is to not just kind of fall into this like um, performative wokeness of like what are your pronouns but actually be like what does that fucking mean yeah. <laughs> we are just figuring it out you know yeah you know and I love it as a question and I love that um yeah we can we can ask these questions and, and be open that it's like I've no fucking idea mm. <laughs> you know rather than pretending to have all the answers for sure like that's not going to get us anywhere is it so my mum reminded me, I just had a recent trip back to the UK, and my mum reminded me, she was like, do you remember when at drama school you told me you were, you thought you were interested in women? I identify as bisexual, but back then I was like, oh, I think I really, I'm into girls. Um, and she said, do you remember what I did? And I was like, and I have no recollection of this. It's really funny how I blacked it out. She sent me a hair clip in the post and just wrote, get a grip. She Mom. sent me a hair grip in the post and said, get a grip. I mean... That's I'm nice that I'm... she reminded that. She thought it was really <laughs> funny. She thought it was really, really funny and told the joke in front of everyone. Oh, everyone else no, no, no. thought it was really funny. And I just thought, I was like, can you imagine? I'm so glad I'm parenting differently. Yeah. <laughs> you know? can you imagine sending that Maddie, like... Yeah, just in an envelope. I mean, it is quite funny in a film about someone else's life but like <laughs> you know what I mean that's a good way to put it you know oh. not call them that's my fucking life anyway that was interesting because I am really glad that we get the opportunity as a parent and to have very different experiences yeah 
Well, I mean, and that's sort of looking through the questions. I, I know we're going to go on to them in a, in a moment, but it's, it's really great to start right at the beginning, mm. you know, of your kind of sexual identity and your story because you have certain moments in your life which which are hugely impactful and you kind of forget about you know the narrative you started off with you know and that's where you have to really start right yeah like shit like that that happens do you know what I mean yeah 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 funny old times um so where are you um, well, I am, yeah, en France as well. I am um, an hour south of La Rochelle, sort of two hours west of Bordeaux on the coast. So, Do you have a fucking compass on your desk or something? <laughs> <laughs> I practiced this before. Uh, yeah, so I, I live, I've been in France for 16 years. Um, so I live for nine years in the north in Lille, which is like a, quite an industrial um old mining town um and then we moved down here six years ago six nearly seven years ago um which is yeah it's like a a really sort of sleepy um retirement town (laughs) but it's got five beaches and it's really beautiful and super safe and really Mm. nice weather and yeah it's just like something I wanted for my kids was just to have that freedom to be able to just like run around on the beach and I mean they did surf lessons at school for fuck's sake you know (laughs) so they did surfing and sailing and so it's just like now I mean now as teenagers they're getting into that like oh it's nothing to do it's so boring here like why can we stay in the city um but I'm happy I'm happy in our little sleepy town. Yeah, and they have a nest to come back to, which is really safe. And it's not that sleepy, honestly. Um, just for our listeners, like I, Mandy housed us through periods of COVID, which did, felt like yeah. the only way we got through was like to be able to escape the flat. Um, and that was really magical. And we got to spend time with Mandy's fucking fantastic kids and also be like on the front row to watching Mandy and Paul's excellent parenting as a team and feel really inspired by that and also see like, oh, we want to be those kind of parents and um, just see like, oh, and also your kids are just so fun and the community time that you spend together. Mikey always talks about it. He's like, I just, I just love the ganginess of those guys. Like they sit and they like play cards together and like really you have times of coming together and it felt really whole, but also, you're all very individual and have very different interests and go off and do the same time, different things. And I think that's, I don't know, super goals as a parent. Oh, bless, yeah. Mm. Really fun. Really fun. So speaking of COVID, um, how is your experience within and surrounding said era? Oh, God, yeah. Been a funny old time, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were moments, like, that were super nice. Um, we were really fortunate that, um like we bought when we moved down here we we sold a kind of bigger house um in the city of Lille and when we 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 bought like a little cute little house here but it was really small uh, but it was like in the center of town and we had the opportunity to rent uh, a place that belongs to a friend of ours which is this mad like seafront um apartment and so we did that just before COVID hit and so we had this huge space and the hotel shut down throughout the whole of COVID. My husband's in sales, so throughout the kids' childhood, he was always away like three or four nights a week. So I pretty much was, you know, 
a sole parent a lot of the time. So it was the first time that he has ever been at home for that sort of amount of time. Um, so on that sense, it was like the first kind of confinement was actually really like quite nice. Like we played loads of games. We, you know, Rose and Mikey came to stay. Um, we actually had quality sort of home time. Like I didn't get the kids to do any schoolwork. Like I was like, do the minimum. That's it. Like, cause I'm an ex teacher. I was like, there is no, and teaching in French. I was like, there's no way that this is not going to be an absolute nightmare. So I was just like, look, do what you have to do for school and, and do whatever you want. Um, so that was quite nice. Um, I found the, the re-entry afterwards a lot more. It was kind of like the after effect. It was like, oh, shit, like, I'm super isolated. Like, mm. because we hadn't lived here that long, mm. um, we'd had, like, fledgling friendships that had kind of, like, dissipated. Um, and also, like, when I arrived here, I was, you know, I went back to drinking, which is part of my story of, like, we arrived and I hadn't drank for a year. And then I was like, ah, uh, like, how can I make friends and be me, like, in this new town? So I'd kind of gone from having quite like party friends here to to then sort of quitting drinking, but still maintaining those friendships and then the pandemic. And so then mm. kind of and writing like a second book. So I'd like was like <laughs> full on within work um, and came out. I was just like, I, I literally like don't have any friends or I don't know how to sort of socialize. Um, so, yeah, I found that like my anxiety around kind of being out with people and like getting back into sort of connecting with people really has been quite difficult um and on a kind of family side my we had a whole sort of family situation that happened in the UK that my short short version that my granddad left everything to my uncle when he died um and my uncle gave they, there's a house in London my uncle said like okay the house is for you to my dad um you know in my will etc my uncle um got covid died of covid um there That's was nice. yeah no I mean he was I'm like throw that one out but he was he was an old man you know he was mm -hmm. very he was like 86 um and it was sad because he you know, my dad couldn't go to the funeral or anything like that. Mm. But what transpired was that he hadn't made a will and his um, he had entered into a civil partnership that we didn't know about. And so the house went to his partner. Um, so my parents were living in the house in London, had been living there for 12 years, um, and it was sold from under them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so um, and it was my house in, in, in England, right? I'd, been, I'd lived there since I was 18. Um, so we had this whole thing from a distance, like both my brothers and I trying to manage my parents who are like in their 70s, trying to find somewhere else to live, um, moving, like, and also that the fact that my dad had pretty much had abandonment twice because his dad had, had kind of abandoned him and then his brother had, had abandoned him like so was, there was a whole a whole thing going on and I think like it's important just to say that because I think there's been a lot of that going on mm. like people that have lost people or just couldn't Absolutely. get back or Rose having a baby for fuck's sake in the pandemic like what the hell was that all about like just the whole impact has been vast you know um so yeah so it's been a, it's been a lot um, yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I was in my own little unit, like, yeah, I had, it was, you know, it was okay. It was, it's just the, the, the impact of kind of your networks, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And that you're like available and aware of that and participating in yeah yeah and, you know, and family, for the kids you know? too right like um Absolutely. being a parent I mean my daughter she started a new school right at the beginning of the pandemic and um she'd never seen any of those kids without a mask up until about That's two, crazy, two months ago you know and so and she's like she'll be 16 in December so it's like wow. a super kind of like important developmental you know talking about sort of intimacy and sexual you know sex and things like that that's a lot of those kind of like learning to flirt learning to kind of who you like and what that looks like and and part of their face has been missing (laughs) so it's just like he's quite hot or she's quite hot but then I see her their teeth like whoa no (laughs) um Yeah, so it's been a, a real trip for them as kids as well, you know. And yeah. and academically, they're really behind, um, which is just, you know, yeah, I could have maybe done more about that. But, like, I, it would have been too stressful for us to try and yeah. do any learning. And, um, yeah, it's, it's – but it's uh, it's taught us a lot. I mean, I've made huge shifts in my kind of professional life, and yeah. that wouldn't have happened if um, – if we hadn't have had COVID and everything, I don't think. No, absolutely not. And I, you and I met, God, a couple of years before that, right? Or yeah. like a year and a half year, years? Is that a full sentence? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, wait. I don't know. I'm trying to remember. Um, God, so how did you guys, like time is an illusion, <laughs> but yeah. how did you guys first connect? <laughs> wow. Do you want to tell it, Mans? Go on. Um, so yeah so we were both um training to be she recovers coaches so um she recovers is a um support system for for women and those um non-binary and um trans women and those that identify with women's groups uh based in the US and Canada um and we were doing our training weren't we and um the the founder Dawn Nichols she said to me oh there's a couple of women that are in Paris you know you should get in contact and um I don't really I think I'd met um I'd met Dufflin but anyway yeah and um we got put in a little whatsapp group and I assumed that you were American just because I don't know I just assumed you're American and then like found out that you were from from England and actually um I don't know down the road down the road in the west country bloody road I don't know if it's okay to to say the other connection or not. Oh, yeah, you totally should. But, I mean, we don't have to out them. But, yeah, yeah. that was what was crazy. That um, is what is fucking no, blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. So, um, like, so I, when I saw Rose's surname and then where she was from, I was like, mm, hang on a second. Um, and I sort of said, I said, is your brother's name so-and-so mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was like uh, no I said do you know someone called Mm-mm. and and you were like uh yeah that's my brother and I was like yeah. okay weird um because he has a child with um someone that I know from 
from my childhood. Yeah. So basically, yeah. Um, so basically, you guys are like sisters. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, she, and, and she actually, I, I had my first kiss with her. So she's like part of That's my sexual. And, it's, yeah. and this isn't like a big city. These are like tiny little weird villages yeah. like Stroud so, yeah, so, and Exeter and Devon. Like they're middle of buggery nowhere. If anybody <laughs> knows the festival Glastonbury, it's all sort of around there. Yeah, that's yeah, it. that's it. So it was kind of, a, and then it was just like around festivals and music, you know, it was yeah. like, did you go out in Bristol? Yeah, yeah, me too, kind of, you know, did yeah. you go to Glastonbury? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's where well, that's we met. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's Very so amazing cool. though, but really cool to make a connection like that in France. I remember when I first, I think I said to Lou when I first met you, I was like, oh my God, like we speak the same language. Whereas sometimes Lou and I have to be like, do you mean this? Or do you mean this? Like, even though we're as close as we are, you know, but you and I, man, speak the same who are, don't we? <laughs> yeah, it's not even like Brit. it's not even just England. It's like yeah. West Country, which is it's just very like, West a, a whole, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. whole people. <laughs> it's a whole people. Yeah. And there's an understanding of, yeah, and it's really weird, isn't it? And I think you and I both had quite socialist upbringings. Yeah. Well, certainly that our parents were both very, um, sorry, I'm totally speaking for you, but I think it's like an important piece of the puzzle because often that area of the UK can get associated with like twee kind of villagey mm. stuff or farmery stuff. But both of our parents were down from London yeah, and, and were very kind of socialist. And, uh, you know, that has a huge impact. I mean, I certainly, yeah. So we'll let you kind of... <laughs> Talk a bit more about that. Um, and obviously, Lou, you go ahead and ask our next question because that's a very important to this podcast. And now about sex. Well done. <laughs> um, as, as you uh, alluded to before, you know, our kind of show has anchor questions. And in the biography on your website, which is a very beautiful website, by the way. Oh, I um, made it myself. <laughs> I'm very impressed. Um, you talk a little bit about some traumatic events in your late teens. Um but before that, what were some of the early messages you received around sex and sexuality? Yeah, I love this question. Um, and it really helped me, you know, because when you sort of start thinking about it, I was like, oh, this is a really cool exploration of self, as we like to do in recovery. It's like, oh, a little bit of delving <laughs> into the depths of my past. Um, yeah, so basically my parents, um, so the narrative that I got was, my parents met when they were 17. They were virgins when they got married. They got married when they were 21. Um, and that was about all I knew about sex, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there was very het strong heteronormative, strong, um, you fall in love and that's it. Um, which was weirdly conflicting with the fact that my dad is, is a, well, both my parents are socialists and my dad is a feminist and, you know, would teach me about feminist literature you know we'd go out on walks and he'd like make me recite the names of the Pankhurst sisters and you know talk about all this stuff the votes for women and on the political side of feminism um but nothing about kind of sexual awakening or anything and I understand now there's there's more to you know there's generational trauma with my parents um that make sense of a little bit why that subject was kind of quite taboo um, but I 
can remember being very, very young and being um, aroused or interested or enjoying pleasure mm. um, from a really, really young age. Because I can, because we moved when I was eight. I can very distinctly kind of see it in different households, you know. So it's before I was eight, I can remember being like feet having feelings and you know and an ex exploration, but also feeling like this was really naughty um, mm. and like really secret, you know. And I had a friend that we would like play together, you know, and like touch and stick things and various orifices and you know just kind of play and, and explore and really enjoy it. Um, but really thinking like this was this was naughty and something that like I shouldn't I shouldn't do so yeah super supp suppressed basically mm. um, and but really confused because it was I like it was nice it felt you know it felt nice and and there was definitely there and I used to tell loads of stories I was really imaginative kid we lived in the countryside was a lot on my own quite a lot got two older brothers loads really in my own head and storytelling and um would make up stories about me and my boyfriend you know who was me you know <laughs> in in the garden kind of thing um and but like really really shy about my body and really shy with boys um I wasn't like popular particularly um I was very loud I was very like kind of argumentative with people um and so like when I had my first kiss um my f my it like basically my friend had forced this boy to like kiss me because I was like hiding um and um and then like my second kiss was with a girl was with a someone that we mentioned um and that felt really like, again, like, oh, this is something like really like I can't ever, ever do that again. Because <laughs> that's mm. like, um, yeah, so no kind of ability to question anything, I think. And I think that's just that that is quite generational. Like um, mm. I think about my friends now, you know, and there's, you know, it's a shame. I know there's a couple of my friends that are gay and they're still, and they're married, you know, I just, mm. it's just one of those things that mm. that generation was just, we didn't have the vocabulary to discuss totally. or, or, or the ways to. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of the beginning and, and, and I know I was super shy, like I was kind of, you know, then drugs and alcohol came on the scene, uh, which definitely helped, um, like, and I know that I had, a, like, one really good sort of sexual experience. Um, like, I was dating a, a guy that's a drug dealer, as you do. <laughs> you know. Handy. Um, very handy. handy. Yeah. Um, and he, um, yeah, and, and he was, well, we, we had, like, yeah, we had a good time, um, which I which I'm really fortunate for because, you know, obviously, like, we'll talk about what happens afterwards, but having such a kind of traumatic sexual experience when you're like 18 kind of cuts you off to a lot of the, the progression of your kind of maturity and sexuality. So 
I, I, I guard that kind of memory of, of that time with him because I know that I had that like at one time yeah. and I will have it again one day, but I'm not quite there yet. Um, so yeah, so up until, you know, I, 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 I had, yeah, I lost my virginity when I was 15. Um, I don't think I ever like had any experiences without any drugs or alcohol, mm. um, even kissing, like. I was too shy, so I'd always have to have something to, like, loosen. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I, st- I mean, I started drinking when I was 14, started smoking weed when I was 14, and then mm. was doing, like, ecstasy and, and speed when I was, like, 15, and then doing coke when I was 16, 17, so. And drugs are a big part of my story, you know, um, in the early years, until I became a mum, and then, you know, then it was wine, which is... But it's, it's interesting what you were saying about, and I so relate, and it, I, hadn't, I hadn't really thought a lot about this kind of since that time, but, like, I think I definitely carry it into my adult life with that idea of, like, having a strong sense of your own sexuality, but, like, also... <laughs> not knowing how to what to do with it in the world so it's kind of like a secret private thing and then like outside you're just like I know you know what won't know what to do with this <laughs> so me neither I will uh, express it exclusively when I'm fucked up <laughs> because like it's so vulnerable to be like I have this part of me that I just like is sexual and is in touch with like the erotic but like it doesn't make sense in the world and it feels like that there's a strong disconnect <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, like, something is – because, uh, like, I mean, I did a podcast with Kate. Um, you know, we did a p- podcast called Love Sober for a, nearly four years. So it's about 160 episodes. We talked to That's a lot of people um, around the, their kind of sober journeys. And, and one of the things that's really become clear to me is that, that we need to raise awareness and talk more about identity within these conversations. So, like, you know, the the connection between – you know, trauma, mental health, addiction, we're starting to talk about those. But every single person that I've ever spoken to has something in their story around identity, be it sexuality, be it, you know, race, be it body shape, be it um, neurodiversity, be it being a sexual person, a sexual woman, right? And yeah. and not knowing what to do with it. And I was, that's when I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, because it wasn't okay to feel and enjoy it, or know how to be that, that's something that then you feel othered by, right? It's like, oh, I don't know, so I'm going to, this is, you know, perverse or or wrong. Um, And it feeds, Mm. all of those things feed in, you know, being a highly sensitive person, being like, um, yeah, whatever it is where you feel like you can't fit into the mold of what you're supposed to be, impacts, is traumatic, you know, Mm. and so it impacts how you, you try and cope with that in the world and certainly you know in the sense of intimacy and sex it's like well you drug and drink right um and that's really interesting because i think we talk a lot sometimes on this podcast about like the energy of the sexual um well-being and the creativity that's around that and like i don't know it's a bit like i noticed during pregnancy that if i was going to continue neglecting my creativity 
after pregnancy and becoming a mother that was going to make me unwell it's kind of an energy you know mm. and like the sexual energy it's that energy is not going to go anywhere if I don't like give it a space to play in a way yeah. you know and that doesn't have to look like penetration or whatever like but it, it does need somewhere to connect and I've really noticed in my couple recently especially being new parents like Mikey and I have to make time once a week just to sit down and have a meal together just the two of us to really connect and say what the fuck's going on even if I don't want to talk about what's going on and often I want us to sit down and have like a perfect moment and recently we we went out and um we got a nunu for the night that's a nanny for the night and we went on a date and we just sat at a restaurant and like I just talked to him about what was really going on and he just listened and that felt like the most intimate time we spent together in I don't know how long Mm. and I think one thing that I always got really confused about especially starting a podcast on on sex and I was just like oh god is that you know how much that changes when you become parents and also um in long-term relationships intimacy has a different journey and 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 I have to embrace that rather than penalize myself for not being what it was you know it can be um but also it doesn't matter if there's different seasons too anyway I've talked about so many different things but they were just I was really inspired by what you just said around that because that energy is so important I think yeah um, and and that's it it's like and and it does feel like energy like because there's Mm. Like even talking about it now, like I like there's a heat, right? Because it's like, is that shame? Yeah. Is that fear? Is that like guilt? Is that worry? Like, or is that like excitement? You know, of and like being, yeah, of being able to yeah. actually express what what I feel inside. And when totally. you, you you, as you say, when you don't have a place to allow that to be, um, which I think is why I've always been so drawn to, um, you know communities that were um yeah just like every nothing ever felt big enough for me like when I was growing up I wanted more like expanse like it was just because I I needed to have that kind of richness and wildness and just like for people to be expressing themselves because there was parts of me that I couldn't express and so it fed me to be like wow like you know and that's why you know counterculture or rave culture which was a big part of my you know, life was just like, yeah, that was that wildness that we could, you know, just be like somewhere to go and yeah. put that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Even um, if it was Pete Tom. <laughs> I've never listened to Pete Tom. Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a pinnacle moment with my parents that like when I was so I was kind of with my first proper boyfriend, even though like I, you know, snogged God knows how many boys behind his back and was just so mean. But um and I went to my parents and I was like, oh, I want to go on the pill, you know, when I was like 15. And they were just like, they just blessed them. They just didn't know what to do with it. Not, yeah. And they were just like, oh, um, uh, no, uh, like what kind of thing. And, and at that moment, I was just like, right, I'm never talking to you about anything ever again. Right. And I didn't until like I had no choice but not to. So, um that's something I'm really kind of careful around with my kids is just like trying to make it as silly and frivolous and just not a big deal as possible absolutely Um, Oh, yeah. that's so sweet. I mean, it's but it's a hard. I feel like like any way you lose. Like I remember my mom being like when I had my first boyfriend. She was like, "Just so you know, you can come to me about anything." And like, are you guys having sex? And I was like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> I 
and she was like, are you sure? I'm like, yes. And of course we were having sex. And, oh, and just like, you know, I feel like it's so hard because like, at least the culture at that moment was so kind. And I was so kind of like shut down and weird, especially around my fucking parents. But this idea of like, no matter what you do, it's like hard to be a kid and it's hard to be a parent you know, and have yeah. those conversations, which is why we have this podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's what you have to let go of, right? It's like, you're never going to do, like, everything right. Yeah. Like, I was so, I because I had quite a lot of trauma, and then I had a daughter, like, it fucking triggered the fuck out of me, mm. and I was like, yeah. how in the hell am I going to keep her safe? Like, what can I do? Oh, my God. You know, and, <gasps> like, extreme, extreme kind of pet sort of perfectionism mm. um control and like you know I, I remember sitting with my best mate and we've been friends since we were eight and she just like luckily like came a mum about two years after me and she was just like Mandy like we're gonna fuck them up basically whatever we do like you just we've just got to let it go we can only do our best and she had like mm. a really tough childhood and um and yeah you kind of just have to let that just got to try your best but yeah I'm not going to get it all right that's for sure <laughs> definitely definitely I had some really intrusive thoughts at the beginning um yeah. suddenly I held this like fun this daughter in my arms <laughs> um, and I just wanted to protect her so bad you know yeah and just thinking like I don't know if I can you know and I really fucking hope I can sorry but oh my god no I know I'm gonna cry <laughs> oh my god you know because you just want to do that don't yeah. you you know and you don't and I and and you can think all you can do all the work I mean you both know I've done a ton of work you know and um but when you're when you're paired with such a fragile vulnerable thing and it's a girl and a daughter and I don't know if that's how she's gonna identify when she's older but just wanting to be like how do I make sure you never leave the house? <laughs> you know? And then at the yeah. same time, just being like, that's not realistic. And how do I grow with that? You know, yeah, that's not realistic. No, but no. I mean, you know, it's also, I think because it sounds like both of you and I'll, I'll speak for myself also, like each generation, it seems kind of like does the work that the last one couldn't, you know? Mm. And so maybe, like, that's something for the, like, it's, it's hope for the children. <laughs> the children are our future. But also, like, you All know, right, if I, I mean, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, like, which is slightly terrifying. But, um, <laughs> like, my parents were the coolest motherfuckers in the entire universe, and I still am in therapy, <laughs> you know? And, like, good, you know? It gives me something to fucking write songs about. Yeah. it's like spend your fucking money on oh well somebody somebody i heard yesterday what podcast uh, i think it was armchair expert where they're talking about like how uh like the the aerodynamics like how lift works is that that like the air has to have teeth essentially like you have to the the wing has something to push against even if it's air you know to create oh, flight fuck. and i was like oh fuck that's like such a beautiful metaphor that like even if there's friction, I mean, I guess especially if there's friction, like that's where the growth comes from. And I mean, we talked to Jessica Leahy about that idea of like mm. desirable difficulty and like that it's not, if you can create safety without creating too, too, too much ease and comfort, like it's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh man, it's a, it's a whole thing being a parent, that's for sure. <laughs> it's it's just, a definitely a thing. Yeah. It's definitely a whole thing. So it seems like you're drinking and your recovery, your marriage and family has been an important part of who you are. 
How did things change when you started to try sobriety? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I was thinking about this in the sense that I don't know whether I would have got sober if I hadn't have been a mum. Like, I really admire people that um, do that, you know. I, I mean, I hope I would have. Um, I probably would have hit a harder bottom. Um, but, like, me not being responsible for purely for me was, like, a huge help in turning around my behaviour. And perhaps, you know, why I, I could, you know, I got out early, as it were, um, because I, you know, I was a parent. Um, so yeah, I mean, so to kind of fill in the trauma piece, like, um, trigger warning, um, I'll briefly explain that, like, I went traveling when I was 18 and I was traveling in Mexico, um, and with a, fr a girlfriend and, um, I, we were, we were out like completely wasted. I still don't know whether I was drugged my my kind of shrink seems to think that it's not it's it's just um mm, I can't think of the word now um what I'm doing right now disassociation uh, <laughs> um but uh, yeah essentially like a group of men broke we were staying on the beach a group of men broke into our our mm. cabin um and uh attacked me um and raped me and um and left well I mean I don't know what would have happened if I don't know all the details because I massively dissociated so I saw it as when I the next morning when I woke up I was like I had a really bad nightmare that something had happened so mm. um and um Luckily, they didn't do anything to my friend. Um, but mm. that day, I said to her, I never want to speak about this ever again. Um, and bless her, she kind of kept that word for about 15 years. Um, mm. And so I didn't. I didn't speak to anyone. I didn't tell it. You know, I didn't. I went. I carried on traveling around the world. I don't really remember anything about anything. Um, and then got pretty heavily into sort of doing drugs um, and abusing myself with men and with you know with substances um through kind of through my 20s I got back in the summer when I got back um so that was kind of in the November it was right at the beginning of our trip and then we got back in about I don't know May or something and then that that summer was like fucking crazy like in terms of what we the amount of drugs we were doing and um and just before I went to uni I like sort of had a one night stand with my a friend of mine and um got pregnant so I arrived at uni when I was and found out that I was pregnant had to have an abortion when I was like yeah like three months into my degree um so yeah so that was kind of so but I never got help I didn't I internalized it all like I blamed myself ashamed myself I thought mm. that I'd created it because I was this kind of like loud like it, it confirmed all the narratives of the things that I thought was wrong with me. Like, mm. you know, you're too loud. You're too, you mm. know, like too much. That was kind of the things, you know, quiet down, Mandy. You're too much. You're showing off. Don't show off. You know, those mm. are the, the things mm. I heard growing up. So 
it was like, all oh, right, I, I fucking, I created that. Um, and um, so, yeah, so from that point on, like, my sexual life was an absolute fucking nightmare um, in terms of the fact that I just didn't give a shit about myself at all. Um, and then when I started to kind of get into more and sort of committed relationships, I would tell, they, they would know, right, these men that I was with, they'd be like, okay, something's going on. And I would be very, um, like, we would start to initiate sex and then I would start crying or I would, like, push them away. Mm. So it was very real for them, but I had complete denial. Mm. So I never said it out loud. I didn't say it out loud for about, like, 15 years or something mm. I never and I, I because I was so disassociated it was very hard to know what was real and I just want to say because I know that people I know because people have reached out on social media when I've talked about it in the past saying fuck I didn't know disassociation was a thing I think I actually think that I, you know, might have been raped or I actually think this might have happened because mm. you can be, you can get into that state where because there's this dreamlike state, which is essentially what kept me alive because, mm. you know, your, your heart rate, if you were present in the terror at that time, you know, you mm. probably would have a heart attack and die. Yes. So your, you, the bloods, you know, loose, you have less blood going into your brain, which means you go into this like dreamlike state, which essentially keeps you, alive you know mm. at that time but if people not understanding that and I didn't understand that until I had my third breakdown and was put into psychiatric care that like um that that's what was going on and then I could mm. understand okay this really was a thing um mm. because I'd like just gone sort of yeah it, 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 because I hadn't talked about it it just became this thing it was like maybe it happened maybe it didn't happen maybe it happened didn't happen and I used mm. to say that to myself about 15 times a day every day yeah throughout that period mm. um so yeah so that um so it's annoyingly like my sexual development was cut short <laughs> like at 18 um mm. so a lot of what's being in a committed marriage and having kids um a lot of that has been starting again wow. um and my husband and I like because I d used to do that with him, like I'd like we'd start and then I'd push him away, or like I'd start crying, and and he was we basically made a pact, and well he made a pact. He was just like, look, I cannot initiate things with you um, mm. because it's too painful for me to go mm. through that. So I'm here <laughs> if you want it, whenever you want it, I'm here, but it has to come from you. Um, which is tricky when you don't have any, like, you know, um, like, confidence in that area. Um, mm -hmm. But it was the only way to make it safe. Um, and it's kind of stayed that way ever since. But we do talk a lot about, like, when the kids go and when we're older, like, we'll have mad sex. Um, so, it's, <laughs> so it's still, like, it's on, it's on the, you know, I haven't given Agenda. up. Yeah. <laughs> And we yeah. do have very, like, committed, loving, safe, respectful intimacy. Um, mm. But it's taken a really, really long time. Um, and I'm not where I wanted to be because I know that there was that little girl that was, like, super into it. Yeah. So, like, um, 
I still have intentions to kind of get her back at some point (laughs) Mandy thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing that and like that's so brave and also thank you for sharing it with us here because I think it can help a lot of people to hear that as well and like hear about how you're now in a committed marriage and and you know you're really just helping me understand that like this isn't about just today this is about like the long haul right and that's Mm. what marriage really is isn't it it's not just about like how do I get what I want what I need what I think I should be getting or 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 performing as the level that I should be like some fucking athlete like (laughs) in a triathlon or something like it's it's not about that it's it's about like sticking through the tough shit talking through it and keep on communicating it sounds like what you and your your husband have is is a commitment to continue to be intimate yeah and and I mean I guess getting sober taught me that you know and that's part of that you know of 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 finding hope and Mm. finding hope um and future you know like that it might not be easy right now but there might be something different one day and it might get better and it's going to get better and better and 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 so it I guess getting sober is allowed me to transfer that kind of hope of like it's all right man do you know what I mean it's all right um we'll get there I I did have a like an issue in my plan when I was like shit we we might not work (laughs) when we're old (laughs) I have to get him some sort of some sort of I don't know Viagra or something but um but you have like logical and like (laughs) but like we'll we'll make it work you know and um I mean we we had kids young as well so we've only got a couple of years until they're they flow the nest and then we could just be like super naked all the time and that's what it's to yeah it's gonna be so weird when I come like being like hey can we come and use the pool like knock at the door and then you're just like guys well I've told you Wednesday's a naked day yeah what are you doing here yeah no no we're we're now in our moment yeah (laughs) <laughs> right. awesome. oh, I love it I love it I love so it I love it how has that like specifically your kind of marriage and partnership I mean and I guess also like parenting style evolved within your recovery um well like certainly emotional language um and being able to um take time to like like not being reactive space I think Mm -hmm. like when I was still drinking um I was so reactive to everything and I was also incredibly narrow-minded it was just like black and white like you know I said no so it's no with the kids or you know just no kind of movement in anything and yeah Mm. since since I've been sober and like kind of working my own personal development I can go like the kids will be like can we do this and I'll be like no uh mm, don't know why I said no actually <laughs> you know I'll be like uh, let me think about it for a minute yeah I don't see why not like and just and that's that that sort of being able to kind of pause and, oh, and take yes. your and take your ego out of it as well and just be like actually why am I saying you know what is this about and being able to see their perspective on things um and they've taught me so much, you know, like, um, yeah, when I was drinking, being a parent was so hard, 
Like mm. it was not enjoyable. Like everything was about the stress and the strain um, and, and what I'd lost and resentment. And because I was still trying to be a person that I was, and again, this comes down to identity, right? This is why so many people that get into trouble around drinking when they become mums, because it's a huge shock to your identity and a mm. shift. Um, and I was stuck trying to be like a 20-year-old party girl with kids, but knowing my values didn't want to be that person. So it was like mm. a complete disconnect between what I wanted to be as a mum and then who I was. And it was just... Mm. So everything was better um, from learning to kind of look after myself first. Really. And that starts with your sobriety. Yeah, 100%. It's like, I always say it's like the anchor... You know, it's the mm. it's the the first act of self care, which sort of informs all others, isn't it? Totally. Anyway. Um, yeah, I'm so. I mean, I'm so grateful. Like, it'll be five years continuous this year. Yeah. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. coming <laughs> soon. That's coming up soon. It is. It's the yeah seventeenth of August. But Woo! I like I've been on the soup journey um, for about nine years. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, we're lucky, aren't we? We are the lucky ones. You're not fucking wrong. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yes. And um, so because your journey with living with alcohol hasn't been within a 12-step process, and Lou and I are more familiar with that kind of way of doing shit, can you tell us some of the tools that have helped you and that you utilise as a coach in getting and staying sober and not feeling completely out to lunch? <laughs> I don't know about the last bit, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, me neither. I mean, yeah. I'm in 12 7 and I've been constantly, yeah. like, um, where am I? Yeah, it's interesting, because I, like, I mean, there's two things there. Like, going to a 12... Because I, I was living in France, um, and I didn't really ha have any French friends or anything like that. Like, it wasn't even an option. Like, I hadn't even considered it. Um, and I think if so, at that time, if someone that I'd been really good mates with had been like hey Mandy you're like you know struggling here um come to a meeting it might have it might have been a thing right but it just wasn't um and also like my best mate's mum was you know a, a very heavily dependent you know in alcoholic you know you know inverted commas um and that was I wasn't there I wasn't mm. at, I wasn't at that place so I couldn't I didn't see myself as an alcoholic. I just didn't see that language. Um, so I kind of found online forums. I found stuff online. It's just like um, this amazing woman called Lucy Rocker set up a online forum called Soberistas, which was, you know, um, she wanted it to be the mum's net, but for people that were struggling with alcohol. Um, and it was anonymous online and you wrote blogs. Um, and she was very similar story to me. She was like a 90s ladette kind of, you know, into that scene and then become a mum, got divorced and was drinking like, you know, one or two bottles of wine at, at home a night. And that was something I identified with. And, you know, mm -hmm. so I, I, you know, started blogging there and so community still is really important to me. It just mm. isn't 12 steps. So, like, mm. I have, you know, people that I've met through Instagram, um, people that I've met through various different communities, like um, Love Sober, which I founded with Kate, um, which is a women-only. She recovers. Um, 
and you guys like you know a little bit of everything um mm. tools um reading i've done a lot a lot of reading podcasts were really useful to me in the beginning um therapy medication you know i take antidepressants i'm not ashamed to take them for the rest of my life if i mm. need to um i guess the biggest thing the sh biggest shift was around lifestyle um i did have to move away from certain friendships um that were purely around taking drugs basically um mm -hmm. and that was really hard it was really hard to i remember we were going to because also i had my kids young so i was 26 when i had my daughter so i still had all those 30 year old you know birthday parties okay. to go through and everyone was still getting married and there were loads of festivals and stuff and I remember we were going to, and it was when I first quit in that first year when I was like 20, I'm not good with dates. How old was I? Uh, 33, something like that. Um, and um, I said to a mate of mine, we went to like um, the Worldwide Festival, Giles Peterson's Festival every year in the South of France. And I was like, oh, I'm not drinking. And she was like, oh, and I was like, but I still want to come, you know, I was still like, that's what I can still yeah. do this. I still want to come. And yeah. she's like, okay, but you know, so-and-so's coming and you know, they've just had a baby. And so, you know, they're, they're going to really want to like have a big blowout. So I just don't want you to kind of ruin it for them. And I was like, mm. Oh yeah. And this oh. is like one of my best, <laughs> one of my, <laughs> one of my yeah. best kind of mates from like growing up. And it was like, wow. Okay. And I was like super attached to like my mates and my group and like all of that. Yeah. And then living in France, just like they weren't there. Do you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. um, and then I stopped drinking and it was just like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've still got like my two best mates. But other than that, I had to just see it for what it was, which was mm. super painful. Um, so painful. But better, better for it, you know, like. Um, oh, I'd yeah. rather have less friends, but really people that are really there for me and got my back than people that are just there because I, I, I entertain them. You know? Right. That's yeah. fucking amazing. Um, I mean, yeah, it's like, or we just love disassociating together. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, it's, I, I, I was very moved when you were kind of talking about finding community and stuff, this idea that like alcoholics and addicts really love each other. Like we just find each other. So like, no matter what, we're just like little moths to a flame and the flame is each other, <laughs> especially in sobriety. And then who knows, like, you know, whether if, if and when those people need to get to get sober, they know that you're a resource for that. And it's like it's really what a blessing to be able to be that person. Yeah. You know, and I've definitely had that. Um, so like, of course, some of those people are struggling. Right. Of course, it's like some of those people, it's not working out so well right now. So and they know I'm here 100 yeah. percent. I always will. Um, and, and that is the kind of beauty of knowing that kind of, you know, putting your own gas mask on first or whatever. It's like you need to protect yourself before you can show up for others. And at certain points, that means saying no um, in a loving and kind way you know detaching mm. um but that doesn't mean that the door's shut it just totally. means it has to be safe right mm, for right. me first you know so absolutely absolutely um, and then how did you find your way into coaching like what what do you find most challenging and rewarding about that 
Um, well, I was in education for like 10 years. I worked in like um, business schools in France um, and I had a, you know, burnout kind of breakdown. I, you know, had two small kids and had a career job. Um, and I remember at the time, a mate of mine was like, he had a friend that was a coach and he was like, I think you'd be good at that. And um, so I was like looking into it. And then um, when I started doing the podcast with Kate, um, she was training to be a coach. Um, and then I learned about She Recovers. And then I went to, I was really fortunate. They gave me um uh, a place to go to the conference for free in LA and um and then I was just like yeah I want to help people you know be part of it and um yeah I love it I love working with people and like I think there's something really um and in- you're very good at it by <laughs> the way <laughs> I don't know um, about no, that. you really are uh-huh. and you're not just the, the recovery coaching but also like you do more of a kind of life change coach you have a special word for it what is it man just tell me it's a special word um i don't know transformation yeah strategy Strategy. yeah yeah i mean i i say i say i'm an integrative practitioner like Mm. um you know well-being and sobriety coach but like often you know the the behavior whatever it is you know drugs and alcohol is is a symptom of a lot of other things right so you can't just do one thing without the others and I think that's how therapy sometimes can be a bit restrictive because it can be very narrow on kind of a area whereas I like to be like okay what's going on in your work life you know how's how many hobbies have you got you know how often do you like take a bath like you know what's your nutrition like let's have a look at all of these things and often it's like the the drinking is like the least important thing do you know what I mean and and it's great when it becomes the least important thing because then it's not like the focus it's like it doesn't it's not this big thing that I have to try and keep in my life it's like oh yeah like I'm motivated and looking forward at other things um so why would I do something that harms myself and that's the kind of place where I want to get clients to where it's just like that's so irrelevant because it just takes me away from all the like good exciting stuff I want in my life you know Hell yes. I love that, man. You're the fucking bomb. The best. I've been lucky enough to have you... um, I don't know. Do you remember? You helped me a little bit. You did a little bit of coaching with me. And uh, when I was going, what am I going to build a business on? Oh, yeah. I was really, Yeah. Yeah. I was really, like, just full of contradictions. And you really helped. And you have, like, a really good way of seeing things from like an outside perspective which I think you really need which is very different from having a sponsor um and being in the in the step work it's really good to have a coach I think for anybody even if you're not just seeking recovery I think whenever I went to therapy a lot of the time I realized I was actually looking for a coach yeah same um and I don't know about you but when I trained to become one I was like this is the thing this is the fucking thing it's like really good to have a somebody who's got the right perspective on the global overview yeah and I think they all those modalities can work together right like it's great to mix them all up and you know have a bit of of all of those things um but certainly it's not something that like I wish people knew 
more and I wish there was more discussion within therapeutic care that like okay mm. I can take them to this point and then I hand them over to a coach rather than right. like I'm just going to keep them in this point for like 15 years you know <laughs> it's like come on like there's enough talking to be done and then it's like mm. right how do I like go and bloom and like and thrive in my life rather than just like keep talking about where it comes from you know over and yeah, over yeah, again yeah. which isn't helpful you know, which is kind of what we do in step one, isn't it? Like, you're in the problem. I mean, the problem is very long. It's yeah, I think so the pages. problem, like, changes, I think. Like, it changes the shape. Like, in the kind of the modality of Alcoholics Anonymous, like, or whatever 12-step program, it's like, what is powerlessness and unmanageability look like today if I'm in that place kind of spiritually? Totally. I'm redoing the steps, and it's really interesting. I'm going through them with somebody in the uh, part of, conference proven literature the 12 and 12 and it's really interesting to look at what does alcoholism or what did like my demony kind of thing that I'm powerless over today look like and it's really that voice mm. that's so unkind to me mm. and that is my thing mm. that I have to uh, now surrender to in a way and I don't know what that looks like it's fucking terrifying <laughs> fucking terrifying that's why I don't get there alone. Anyway, we're moving off track. Um, one of your specialities in your coaching practice is alcohol-free living for busy mums. What do you think is unique about mummy culture and how it romanticizes alcohol? Oh, yeah. Hashtag don't get me started. Um, <laughs> get started. Yeah, I think, I think uh, motherhood is one of the biggest transitions and one of the most vulnerable times for for women um and as is kind of the the other end of that um in terms of you know your perimenopause the menopause and you mm. know then trying to find yourself again as a and just in terms not only uh, in terms of kind of like the emotional side but hormonally like your mm. body is like absolutely mashed up by having a baby and then like takes a long time to kind of put yourself back together again mm. so yes 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 so you've got the hormones mm. you've got the body side you've got like the identity and I I do think it's shift like I think the mummy wine time thing was I hope was quite time specific in the sense that you know it was you know women coming out of sort of the first group of emancipated women you know going into the workplace um, so we were told like you can do it all you can have a baby and you can like have a career um, but there's no support <laughs> you know so it's like throwing us in there of like yeah you can do it all and you're going to be really good at everything and you cannot possibly say that this is hard because then you know the fucking patriarchy will tell you haha we told you so <laughs> you can't do it all yeah. so there was a lot of like let's just like keep it down and you know and so wine became it became this thing of like life's hard let's just have a glass of wine and it will be all right kind of thing um you know and then there's postnatal depression which is often like undiagnosed then there's kind of and it's not the first time because you had the whole kind of valium thing in the 50s you know mm -hmm. and it's like wine is the sort of second it's the second phase of that right of like keeping women quiet keeping them you know small like keeping them coping um 
in systems that don't support them and they don't have the support for. Um, and then, you know, like marketing just got a hold of it. You know, it's just like, this is a thing. Look, this group is really fucking vulnerable and we can mm. like market the arse of fucking They out. love white clock. Yeah, just... exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, so we're going to go hard on that. We're going to put it in yeah. like films. We're going to put it everywhere. Like it is everywhere, you know, in sort of growing up in the kind of 90s, like Sex and the City, all of that stuff, you know, you'd watch programs and the, the sponsorship before would be for wine or Baileys or something. And, you know, and then, half <laughs> and then like halfway through, you know, and then there were T-shirts and then there was like this whole thing about making jokes out of how much women were drinking um, and mums drinking. And it was, um, yeah, it's quite, it's really quite upsetting. Um, mm. And so for me, because that was part of, what happened to me, it was like, I felt so fucking alone. You know, I was growing, I was in another country, had two small kids. My kids are like a year and a half apart. My husband was away, like, and going on Instagram and like clinking my gin or my wine with other mums, you know, virtually felt like belonging, like felt like something mm. that brought us together. Um, but what wasn't being talked about was what happened next was like some of those people just having a glass and then going to bed. Whereas I was mm. like finishing the bottle and not eating because, you know, you could like possibly like have carbs. So I'll just drink a bottle of wine instead kind of thing. And just being mm. so fucking depleted um, and managing my stress basically through drinking wine. And um, so it's a real thing and I hope like it will change. And I, I hope that, people will see it for what it is that it's really not funny um but we'll see you know marketing is is there for to try and kind of yeah target the vulnerable really isn't it totally and it fucking works doesn't yeah. it let's be honest like i was just back in the uk and i was like oh it's still a thing okay yeah. <laughs> it's still a thing um although alcohol-free options are becoming more um, available in places mm -mm. so that is good um we need to zip in to the lightning <laughs> round sorry i have a heart out for the, the for therapy hi david he's not allowed to listen <laughs> so we are lightning rounding don't think too much just say what comes into your head what is your favorite scent memory from childhood um cut grass Oh, yes. Favourite snack? Favourite snack? Uh, nuts. What kind? <laughs> uh, uh, almonds. Yum. Mm. Uh, what's a recent series you've binged and enjoyed? Ozark. Oh, oh yeah. So stressful. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now we're watching Better Call Saul. So. Yes. What turns you on? What turns me on? And that could be sexually or creatively or intimately or intellectually. It doesn't have to be kind of um, provocative. Okay. Well, being naked. Yes. Um, and um, knowledge. Mm, I love that. A song that makes you feel empowered. Oh, fuck. Um um oh what's that i am woman song oh i can't remember who it's called i'm not gonna sing it for you melly something 
Mm, you have to look it up. It oh. was played at She Recovers. Uh, it was, Ooh. yeah. And finally, what do you love? Uh, my kids. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's like, this is obviously not a visual medium, but it's beautiful to see how big you smile when you say that. <laughs> Absolutely gorgeous, Mandy Manners. Thank you for being such a fucking epic guest. I've had such a brilliant time this afternoon chatting with both you and Lou. And so lovely to be all here together. And, you know, I thought I knew you pretty well, but I feel like I know you even better, which is great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks both. Where can the uh, listeners find you on the World Wide Web if they're interested in your coaching practice or want to kind of check in to you and your offerings? Um, well, I'm on Instagram at Mandy Manners Coach, um, or my website is www.mandymanners.com. Um, Such yeah. an iconic name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> the best. Woo! Thank you, Mandy Manners. Thank you, Mandy Manners.